the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, and delighted to be here with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol is the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and recently took over responsibilities at WellMed for everything. Almost everything. Well, not everything, but, you know, there's a, we've got a lot of community partners. We've got, you know, wonderful clinics, and it's really a great um, privilege to work with WellMed. So you've got the Charitable Foundation. You've got now public relations. You've got marketing. Social responsibility, marketing, and some business development. That's cool. But that's, you know, on the odd days. <laughs> means you go to more meetings and you'll travel more. Uh, a little bit more. Probably. Well, I want to talk a little bit about... Folks in the hospital who feel so out of control, they tell you what to do, they tell you when to do it, they talk to you about ways in which your life is going to be different and you have no control over it. And in just a moment, we'll do that after we mention our guest coming up in just a couple of moments, Jeannie Ralston with Next Tribe Magazine. She has done it all from teen to now an older person covering all kinds of issues as a writer. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Jeannie. Um, when you when you see Teen, Mag- Teen Magazine, Allure, a book, The Unlikely Lavender Queen, uh, the mother of all field trips. I mean, this is and she talks about you know aging like like crazy good. Take responsibility for your life. That's right. So we're going to learn more about that. Now that's the same in the hospital. Is there not a movement to try to give patients? A little more control. Yeah, the Washington Post recently uh, had an article, and I don't know if the last time you were in the hospital, if you had the experience with an app or a tablet that was given to you. I did not. When my husband went in last year for a procedure, that is exactly what happened. What they're talking about is we got to the day, you know, surgical unit, and they handed us a tablet you know, fill this stuff in and check yourself in. And then once they knew when we had finished the work on the tablet and then someone came and got us and sent us um, to a waiting area, but they used that tablet to communicate with me, to, you know, kind of organize us in the in that day treatment area. But this is really a nice idea. The Washington Post was talking about, like, let's say a children's hospital. Let's say your child um, has leukemia. And you don't know if they're going to get treated today or not. It all depends on that white blood count. And that tablet they give you is going to tell you the blood tests that your child has. You can see what the white blood count is that day. You're going to know if they're going to get treatment or not. Um, it could have entertainment for your children. You know, if this is an adult, um, you, you've got somebody who has Alzheimer's. Um, they're on, you know, some antipsychotropic medications as well as some heart medications. You can look at the medications. Are they correct? So they're using these tablets to help people feel in control. Um, for example, you know, if you're cold, push this button, um, and, you know, they're giving you more control over the temperature. If you're thirsty, if you, you know, the rounds, when you want to be woken up, when you want the rounds. And, and so it's a nice way of not being the victim because I know a lot of us as caregivers and as patients feel kind of like victims once we enter the hospital environment. Well, when I was in for my uh, knee replacement surgery and, and then being treated when I was first diagnosed with AFib, they gave me nothing like that. And, nothing. And, and I'm sure Gina would really have appreciated it. You know, I've got the tablet. Oh, it looks like he's finished with surgery. Now he's in recovery. It right. looks like they're going to come get me in about an hour. That's great information. The only way to get stuff, you had a tid can and a fork and you banged That's it. right. That's right. You know, it's either that or a, or a nice volunteer. But, you know, they, 
the article made the point huh. of these apps have a lot of good information and there's a timing sequence. For example, you might not see, you as the caregiver might not see the labs until a couple of hours after the doctor does. So that gives him a chance to look at them. If there's something that's really um, bad news, you're not going to see that on the app. They're going to let the doctor tell you that in person. And so the point is there's been a lot of years of research and learning what they don't want is the app to be more work for the nurses and the doctors because you don't know how to use the technology. Right. <laughs> so exactly. some of the technology, some of the hospitals are getting volunteers, technology volunteers, written instructions. Um, but it's it's a good step forward. Feeling like you get a, a voice and a vote over what happens to you or your loved one in a hospital really can change the experience of being in a hospital. Uh, and it's not always that fun, right? <laughs> So no, even if it's ordering the menu, even if it's like, oh, look at the menu, I get to pick that, and off it goes, and in comes the food. That makes you feel better. And the other thing is the uh, discharge procedure uh, often is very difficult because you just want out of there if you're the patient. Well, and how many times have we had someone in the hospital and we didn't know they were being discharged that day? I We have tons of caregivers that have told us stories that all of a sudden it's discharge day. Mom or dad or husband has to go to a rehab facility. We haven't picked a facility. We don't know. We didn't know they were leaving. We want to get the meds in order. We've, you know... It, all of a sudden, we're just thrown into this activity. Well, with an app like this, you can see that, you know, your loved one has been checked off for discharge today. And you can have that conversation because contrary to popular belief, <laughs> if you don't think that they have a safe place to be discharged to, they don't have to be discharged. You, you can know. say, this doesn't work. Yeah, this doesn't work. There's nobody, uh, you know, the example... I gave a someone that works with the foundation whose aunt had Alzheimer's, and they said, "You have some? Do you live alone?" She said, "No." Well, she lived in an apartment complex, but none of the other people in the apartments right. paid any attention to her. She was alone in, and her she apartment. had she had dementia. There was she was alone in her apartment with memory problems, and they were going to discharge her because there wow. were people around her. That's amazing. Um, so yeah, so these apps kind of can help uh, prevent that kind of confusion. If you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. We had that happen to us when our twins were ready to come home from the hospital. They'd been in the NICU for several days. Uh, we got a call. We had originally been said it could be two weeks, could be three months. Got a call. Oh, they're coming home tomorrow. You're like, whoa, twins, tomorrow. And no crib. Yeah, and yeah. that yeah, you you'd had the one. But, we did. But two at a time, that's a and, – and they're boys and – different sizes and exactly. all kinds of things. Well, we worked it out, of course. Twins was already a surprise. They're coming home tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, that just that adds to the fun. Clearly. In just a moment, we're going to talk with someone who knows a whole lot about fun. Jeannie Ralston is both a freelance writer and writes for magazines from life to time to allure. She also is someone who is involved in a program called Next Tribe, and she will tell us about that coming up on Caregiver SOS On Air. What else have we got? Well, you know, we've talked a lot recently about loneliness. We keep seeing it in the headlines. Um, it's something that we're working on in WellMed, identifying our patients who are lonely. But, I, you know, I think about the caregiving experience, and I think about the hours that my sister and I spent uh, with my mother alone. You know, Dad was off doing his thing, and we are at home with Mom, and my mother couldn't talk. Uh, when she had Alzheimer's, and it was um, it was a difficult, challenging experience because she, she was lonely. There was nobody like her uh, to right. interact with. She didn't like adult daycare. Um, she was ha- more highly functioning than a lot of the people there. Um, and then for so she felt alone and cut off. And then we the house was quiet and she couldn't talk and. Um, so it was. I can see where a lot of caregivers feel loneliness, and so because so many older people are are falling into that bucket of social isolation and loneliness, they've had multiple studies. And again, the Washington Post uh, did an article. What I thought was interesting was they were talking about the degrees of loneliness. It's not one size fits all. So loneliness isn't just. It's not just about not having anybody around. It's also about the quality of the interactions you're having. Right, so you can my be mom, lonely in a room. You with can people. be alone. That's right. So there's my mom, and we're you know she can't talk and and isn't understanding what's going on around her. So the quality of our conversation was not good, and our contact wasn't good. So we had to you know make that connection other ways. Um, so what they're what they're asking is 
you know, is somebody always lonely? If you were to ask them, are you always lonely or sometimes? So when it's situational that you're going in and out of that, those are probably people that have the ability to connect with other people, to think, what do I like to do? Let me go find people, um, versus those that are always, which have the highest risk of, you know, actually adverse health effects. And pe- loneliness kills people. And so they were going through the different types of loneliness. And I, you know, this would be a great conversation for J- Dr. Jamie uh, to talk about. But they talked about emotional loneliness. So that's when you don't have close relationships. And they talked about social relationships, social loneliness, and that's where you don't have enough contact with other people. Collective loneliness, you know, are you writing these down? Um, Collective loneliness (laughs) is when you don't feel valued. So let's think about older people. Do they feel valued by the community? Do they feel like they have a connection with people in the community? Many do not. I think a lot of our veterans, I think a lot of older people don't feel valued. And then there's existential loneliness, which is, I don't know what to do with myself. I have no purpose. I think about my great aunt who, with her, you know, all of her clubs and, you know, political club and her finance club and her reading club and all, she didn't have any problem with existential, you know, finding purpose. She was connected. She had purpose. Um, But there are other people in my family that I think, you know, really wondered about that. In fact, I have to tell this story. I was at the University of the Incarnate Word, which is a university where I got my master's degree, and I had not seen my advisor for almost 30 years. Sister Margaret Rose was there. Thank you, Sister Margaret Rose. (laughs) She was wonderful as a counselor. But you know what she (laughs) said to me? You know, I I was asking how she was doing. She's like, oh, you work with old people. That's great. You know, I thought growing old was going to be great. And then after about a year, I thought, well, this this is the pits. (laughs) So, you know, here's somebody who's living in a community you know, it was involved in gerontology, but getting old's not easy. And I think that this loneliness for caregivers and for the people that we're caring for is an issue. And one size doesn't fit, fit all. So the questions we need to ask are, you know, why are we feeling lonely? Why is our loved one feeling left out? Um, do we have relationships? How come I don't get along with people? You know, is there some distrust, maybe some dementia going on? Why have we lost touch with people? That's a great one for caregivers. And then what do we do about it? I remember saying to my mom uh, after my father had passed away and she was kind of struggling, I I said, you know, Mom, you seem a little depressed. And like me, she was very direct. She said, depressed? Your dad's dead. Every one of my friends are dead. Nobody visits me. Am I depressed? Yes. (laughs) So there you go. You didn't even have to wonder. I did not. But she didn't want help. No, no, It's the no. Jewish mother was... story. Oh, no, no. Take care of people who need it. That's right. I'm fine. That's pretty funny. We're going to talk in just a moment with Jeannie Ralston, who's going to talk to us about Next Tribe magazine and her growth both as a writer and as a mom and as a spouse. All of that coming up next on Caregiver SOS On Air. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to Well, I'm at radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The answer, be there. Well, thank you for riding along with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is sitting next to me in our Caregiver SOS On Air studios. And we welcome to our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, Jeannie Ralston, who is a writer, a mom, a spouse, who's really done it all from a teenage writer, now at the age of 58, writing about a different population and a different age group, but keeping it going. Jeannie, thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm so happy to be here. 
Well, you have done so much in uh, the field of writing, both as an employee of magazines, as a freelance writer. And one thing that caught my eye is something called Next Tribe Magazine, and I have no idea what that is. Well, let me tell you, because um, I've moved kind of from writing to editing. I founded the magazine, so I'm now, you know, assigning stories, finding writers for stories, establishing the concept and the tone. And what Next Tribe is is for for women over 45 who are smart, engaged, and are aging boldly. That's our, our tagline, age boldly. And I just felt like... Uh, after my sons were both gone to college, I felt I was at loss, a loss of what to do. And then, you know, in the past, I guess people just kind of coasted after they've done their job of raising kids. But I felt like that's a lot of coasting. I still have a lot of time left. I, I work out. I try to be eat healthy. And I felt very strong. And so I decided to, I would launch a magazine for women like me who feel like they've just gotten started and they've got a lot of curiosity about the world and are still very engaged and that's a, that's what the articles reflect so is this a a, a paper magazine old-fashioned style or is it an online magazine or both it is an online magazine only and um, that that's because to print anything in these days is just so difficult <laughs> i was gonna say yes you could ask a lot of magazines about those print editions yeah, that's the money that kills you that's right Yes. So, um, yeah. So it's just it's online, but we have a component that we call in real life, and that is that we do trips. We 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 host trips for people, both internationally and domestic, and for women in this age group. And we also do big events, like we have um, events coming up in Austin, in LA, and in New York, and we call the Next Tribe Out Loud. And it's where several, we get about six very accomplished women, you know, activists or artists or writers to talk about what they're doing and and just really celebrate the power and creativity of women in this age group. Because what I say is, if we don't do it, who will? (laughs) Well, of course, I, as a woman in that age group, think it's fantastic. Um, can you share when you talk about, you know, uh, these accomplished women, you mentioned some of their fields, but who's somebody that you've had at an event that really just, you know, hit it with the crowd? Well, we, in New York, we had um, Kathleen Kennedy Townsend. So she talked about, you know, what it, what the role of women in this age group is in, as leaders in cult, culture and in politics. We have so much experience. It's, it's, it's incumbent on us to to, if we have strong views on something, to be leaders in that. And uh, and then we had Judy Collins. She's uh, on our advisory board, and she yeah. spoke about about her her life and what she's still wor- she's still working, still singing, still touring, and uh, still has so much enthusiasm. And then we've had in, in the Texas one, we've had Sarah Bird, who's a well-known author here, yes. and. You, you must know her. And um, and then another author, Marion Winnick, who used to live here. So, you know, we've had writers. And this come, this this April, April 25th in Austin, we're having our event where we are, um, we'll have Sarah Hickman, who's a musician. We have Olga Campos-Benz, who's a, an author and a TV broadcaster. And Spike Gillespie, an author. We're bringing in a best-selling author from L.A., talk and so we have it it will be it's really just it's a very empowering very invigorating because these women you just see what they accomplished and it's inspiring because you think well i i can do that too it's not too late i can still be you know striving and challenging myself well hang on just a minute i want to tell folks who may have just joined us they're listening to caregiver sos on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with Jeannie Ralston on our Caregiver SOS On Air Hotline. Jeannie, I wish you had a little more energy. <laughs> no, it's a problem. I love it. I, lo- I know Marion Winnick, by the way. She is one cool lady. Oh, oh Marion Winnick, I guess. Yeah. She's fabulous. I love her, and she writes for us, too. Oh, that's so, cool. Um, now, yeah. I, I want to go back uh, into your 
background and your bio because you did something that so many people think about it but never do. And I don't mean lavender farming because I don't think a whole lot of people want to do that. But you sold the business. You moved to Mexico so your kids, your sons, could become bilingual, and you lived there for four years. Did they end up bilingual? They did. They perfectly bilingual. That's cool. Because they went to a school there, and they had to do all their classes in Spanish. And you can imagine how difficult science would be in Spanish. But they they did it, and they're, you know, so... We accomplished that goal, and and I hope they they don't. I, I love hope it. they appreciate it. I guess <laughs> you well, still my... you sound like you're still not sure. <laughs> well, I think they I think they do, but it's you know it's, I did we did it. My husband and I did it before they had a choice. You know they were six and eight, and so we just decided what. Well, <laughs> They have no choice in this. They're going down there, and they're becoming bilingual. Well, you know, they they say that the brain changes, though, at age 10. So if they, you yes. wanted them to learn the language, that's the perfect time to do it. Yeah, our 7-year-old girl is in Spanish immersion at her elementary school. She's in the first grade, and it's everything you said, science, reading, everything in Spanish. And uh, suddenly she is speaking Spanish. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's great. And then, yeah, I mean, we, we were aware of that 10-year-old uh, limit, you know, where they said, after ten, it's too, harder. It's too late. So, it's too late. Yeah. That's so, right. and then yeah. you took off. You leave Mexico, and you write a book about it. The mother of all field trips. You homeschooled, and you went to sixteen countries around the globe. What were you yes. thinking? Uh, <laughs> I was thinking we weren't ready to, to go back into the mainstream of you know of, of a regular school day. <laughs> I think my husband and I were more like. Uh, we don't want to be held prisoner to the school day, so we just wanted to. We just were thinking we would do it for a year, and uh, but everybody loved it so much, we ended up doing it for three years. That's wow. pretty cool. Um, so, what, what are what were the most exotic, or we would think is the most exotic countries that you visited? Well, I'll say the the craziest country we visited is we were in Egypt. During the Arab Spring, oh wow, <laughs> with our children, <laughs> so wow, the craziest thing because we had planned the trip, we we studied ancient history, and then we were, you know, planned the trip to go from Egypt to Greece to Turkey to Rome, and everything was in place, and then the Arab Spring came along, and we were like, oh, what now? But we had media con. My husband's in media as well. So we had. People in, in Cairo telling us, well, after Mubarak stepped down. So Mubarak stepped down, and our media friends were saying, oh, it's getting back to normal. It's, it's okay. You'll be okay. Well, it not really so much. Wasn't back to normal. <laughs> not so much. So, how much did you have to leave the country? No. We, we arrived after. We arrived after Mubarak stepped down, where everything, was, ah. the tension had was dissipating, but it was still, our, our hotel was on. Tahir Square, and there were still people all over Tahir Square. Right. But the great thing was there was only like 50 people at the pyramid. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, nobody else was around. No waiting lines. Nobody, yeah, we, 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 I mean, yeah, we were in Europe right after 9-11. American. I think, oh. what, 10 days after 9-11, were we Europe? were in Europe, and there was oh. no, not an American to be found. Well, yeah. No one. So, I mean, I... <laughs> I at the time, I was so nervous, but I was only re- only was relieved after we're, our plane touched down in Greece, and we're like, "Oh my God, <laughs> wow. we must have been crazy!" But what an amazing experience for our boys because we were going there for ancient history, but we were really learning current history. You know, as it was being made, we were right there, so it, it was it was pretty fabulous. So in, even in retrospect, <laughs> even though you were you were. Um you know, going around the world and doing this really interesting, fascinating homeschooling, did you still have to follow a, a, a homeschool curriculum and, you know, was there paperwork yeah. involved? Well, there's not re- I mean, w- there are a lot of ways to support homeschooling. I mean, there are, like in Austin, there's one-day academies and other kinds of services that, you know, you can you can go to, because I was not doing algebra, believe me, I was not teaching algebra or anything like that, but there are places you can go where you get very good teachers who will teach like one day a week and then for two hours and then they'll have assignments through the week. 
that the, char- the children do on their own. So we had a lot of support. But if, when we went on a trip, we just told them we were going, and they just gave us the assignments in advance, and the boys worked on them. I have a picture of, of our youngest son working on his math problems in a, in a bus, not a bus, a land cruiser near the Serengeti. So, <laughs> I think math is probably better in the Serengeti. I know I would yes, have liked it better. So. Especially with a lion <laughs> on the rooftop. One lion, two, two giraffes. Oh, one giraffe. Oh, dear. We're out of math. <laughs> yes. Well, after you end that, uh, that incredible journey and write your book, clearly the mother of all field trips, you came back to Texas? Well, um, actually, the, the real story is that we tried to figure out where to, to move, and we went back and forth, and back. we did a tour from Seattle to the west all the way to Austin trying to find a town that we both, my husband and I, could agree on. And uh, my husband didn't want to live east of the Mississippi, and he wanted to live in a no-tax state, no-income tax state. <laughs> and then... I had to live somewhere where the trees were taller than me, so that cut out, you know, Moab and those kind of places. <laughs> I like that. It was pretty. It was pretty funny, and we ended up like, okay, well, we're the best places right here outside of Austin. <laughs> Hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. We're talking on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline with Jeannie Ralston, and we're going to get an update on Next Tribe magazine and find out about women over fifty and bikinis. On Caregiver SOS On Air, on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. I almost feel like we have been along with Jeannie on a trip to 16 countries. We've left the Serengeti. We're heading back and picking a spot to live in Austin. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernial. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. Well, Jeannie, I'm I'm curious. With Next Tribe, you talk about a magazine for smart, bold women, 45 and over. So, um, does this magazine um, do you deal with some of the 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 tough issues that people, women over 45, are dealing with? That you know, do you have anything about caregiving, or is your focus really, you know, this is taking charge of your life and and you know, setting the, a, a particular direction? Well, we cover. All of those subjects. I mean, and that's, I wanted something that took a really good look at the issues that women our age face because there really aren't a lot of um, publications or websites out there right now that, that really have great writing and take, take these issues seriously. I mean, we, we don't do listicles, like five ways to, to cut your toenails. Or, you know, we're not doing that. We're doing, like, real stories. Some of them can be really funny. Like we have this most hilarious story about a, a woman wrote about when her husband retired and he was home all the time. So, um, and these, yeah, those kinds of, they, they can be funny. I, I like irreverence. I like a lot of humor, but, but we also tackle the serious subjects like, you know, the uptick in suicide among the women in this age group. Uh, the more divorces hap- are happening in this age group. So, we, we look at a lot of serious subjects, and what I think distinguishes us is that we have some of the top writers in the country writing about this. So they're able to really delve into the subject, and, and what I like to say is they, they express truths that maybe you felt inside but you couldn't articulate. As a, you know what right. I mean? They're, they're able to identify some things that maybe you were, had these general feelings swirling around. So, but we have done we have done quite a bit on caretaking, and because that's a huge issue for women in our age group. I mean, they are you know it's the sandwich generation a lot, and then even even beyond that, that, that my my sister is in her early sixties, and she's the, she's been the caregiver, and she has no children at home, but she's been focused on uh, my mom and dad, and now just my mom, but. Uh, so we had just we just did a, a story about that, and uh, called "Who Takes Care of Mom?" Here's the emotional fallout of being the quote unquote custodial child, and you know that's I think probably among your listeners, listeners, a lot of them are probably custodial children. They're the designated one to deal with the issues. So. 
Well, and that and and that age group really is, you know, and I the the startling fact is there are a lot of women that in that age bracket you're talking about who will spend more time being caregivers for older relatives than they did raising their own children. Wow, that's a, that's startling. Yes, the only <laughs> similarity is the pay is the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. So you know, it can. It sometimes it can be kind of a, a, a long road. And then, what what are some of the emerging issues? You know, what is it? What is it? Pe- the women are getting excited about, or what are issues that are coming up that you hear about? You mean about in the. Not necessarily in caregiving, but just, yeah, just the women in 45 general. 45 and over. 45 and older. Oh, what oh, okay, okay, 45 yeah, Globally. Uh, I think we have a strong contingent who likes to travel, so we, we do some great travel pieces. But we've also just we've sort of branched out and, and are covering even more. We always will have some celebrities in there because there's a lot of older women you know, actresses and so forth who are still doing great work, like who could forget Helen Mirren. I mean, she's oh, yes. amazing. Th- things like that. And they're they're not losing their power in Hollywood. They're kind of gaining uh, gravitas and, and and people are really, like, respecting them. And uh, we appreciate seeing that. But I like doing um, stories, too. Like, we're about to do a story of, about a woman who became an ice trucker at the age of like over 60. <laughs> oh, was she watching that show about ice truckers and said, I'm going to do she that? Went, she was, but she's in Antarctica. We haven't, we'll publish it later this week. But, but what I'm saying is I think what gets people excited in this age group is to hear about other women, what they're doing, how they're creating their, this chapter in their lives. And, and I think there's a lot of excitement and inspiration because they're like, okay, who would have thought? And just the other day, I, we have a Facebook group for women in Austin and a separate one for women in San Antonio because we try to develop in these local two local areas uh, a way for women to be stay in touch and make new friends and in this in this uh, in their area. And we would like to move expand to other cities, but that we're taking it step by step. But anyway, this woman just she posted a picture on the Austin Facebook group, and it's. It's somebody going down a zip line, and I mean, and it's, it's a view is like it's a really steep zip line, and she said that was her. And then people were commenting. She said, "Yeah, not bad for seventy five. Yeah, great. Yeah, I can't believe I'm never it. doing that. I don't care how old I get to be. I'm not. I'm not doing it. I want to know how this happens, Ms. Ralston. I'm looking at your website, and you've got a piece on Judith Viorst turning 90. When did that happen? I know. Can you believe that? And, no, and, I can't. But she's, but she's just so, still so funny and, and has just the right attitude, I think. It's probably, and, and she look if you see the picture, she looks really great. Oh, I she does. It's, it's, it's her sense of humor. My mother has always said, and this has kind of informed me as I've tried to establish the tone of Next Trod, my mother has always said, if you get old without a sense of humor there's no hope for you <laughs> that's, that's true that's pretty much true <laughs> that is absolutely true that's pretty much true well now the new york times recently had a pretty in-depth look at women and travel um and i'm wondering if you saw something among the the women travelers that you have in your group reacting to some of the you know some of the dangers of traveling abroad some of the you know just challenges but you know women wanting to to be their own person and and go to these countries did you hear anything about that yes well what what i do and um i mean i i think i know the piece i think it's Traveling alone. Yes, traveling it was alone. Tra- Yeah, it was the traveling well, we alone piece. Yeah, and I know I would think that people would, would like to join I, your group like yours after reading that article. Well, and and to be honest, I am not a organized tour kind of person. When I did, we did all of our travel for, with the kids in all these different countries. We never joined the tour group because I like to just get things together on my own. I like to have, go at my own pace, and and I'm you know I have to say that after arranging all that travel and also I arranged a lot of travel when my husband who's a National Geographic photographer when he was traveling I would do a lot of his arranging of, of trips so I I felt like I could just do this but I what I 
also try to do on these trips that I do is to make that they really uh, tailor to women our age, like what we would want to do. For instance, we just went to Charleston, and we were able, I was able to figure out how to have women our age group leading us at different points, like on a, on a walking tour. We signed up with a woman, it was she and her sister, and they were hilarious and retired lawyers. And so, and then we did a, we had a, a special lunch in a, in a friend's house right on the intercoastal waterway. And the lunch was for Pat Conroy's widow, and she's a novelist in her own right. Wow. And then, you know, we did, we did something on a boat. We, we organized a boat to take us to an uninhabited island and have a beach cookout. You know, so I, what I'm saying is I try to do things that, that you wouldn't normally do on your own, but you would, you don't feel like you're at all, like you're on a group trip. I mean, these are pretty small. That, that, was, tw- that was 12 women. So my feeling is, you don't really need to travel alone. I mean, come travel with me. <laughs> but, but, I mean, we do trips to Mexico and to the beach. We do a yoga beach, a yoga writing and photography retreat. And um, there, I just try to always think of what, what women our age want to see. And a lot of times I think they want to have – they want to go inside somebody's home. They want to meet women like them who live in the area and kind of – you know, get that insider feel. And so I hope that they don't, I mean, I think it's fine if women want to travel alone, but um, I would say it's nicer to travel with friends. It's interesting. I would say travel with friends, either ones you know or ones you're about to meet, because in all my trips, everyone ends up as friends, like loving each other. <laughs> well, you end up that way for sure, unless you kill each other. Yeah, exactly. But that's, we haven't had a bad apple in our any. Oh, that's good. So. <laughs> I've got a friend here in San Antonio. Ann Schelling is her name, who's the executive director of the Children's Chorus San Antonio. And she's up in early 50s. Uh, she took a trip a couple of years ago by herself to go uh, dog sledding in the Arctic. Oh, my God. Where she's you my pack kind of woman. You I pack your, I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up. <laughs> you pack your own sled. You feed the dogs. You care for the dogs. You cook your own food. She loved it, although oh, she although God. she admitted it was a little chilly. Yeah, well, I would say a little chilly. And actually, we have written about um, women traveling solo. We have one, one of our travel writers loves to travel by herself, but we also have a she, the same writer wrote something about women older, like over eighty, who or go on these. She meets them on these trips, and there a lot of them are traveling alone, and they're but they're just still got that spunk and that quest for, you know, challenge and adventure, and, and that was inspirational. Well, so, it blows I, away stereotypes. Yeah, exactly. I like I think that. That's, yeah, I think that's probably one of the main things I feel about Next Drive is, like, I want to quash all those crazy stereotypes. Let's get rid of them. <laughs> so will we find a picture of you wearing a bikini? I know that when we were looking at the, <laughs> the, the description. Is that somebody else? Um, I'd probably somewhere in the in a bikini because when we went at the beach just in March for our big uh, retreat, the uh, we had our fashion editor along. And, and most women, when they see in our group, we we did a story about swimsuits last summer, and people got really mad because we just were showing the bathing suits on the models that were say on you know, J. Crew or Athleta, and of course they all look like string beans. Right. And they're like, what about some real models, some models our age? And so this year, when we were at the beach, we just took pictures of, of our group. We had like 22 of us, and we took pictures, and we're going to run those instead. So I, I think I was photographed. <laughs> <laughs> well, so has your thinking changed? You, know, you it, When you were younger, 20s, early 30s, you're right, you were a contributing editor for Allure magazine, a beauty yes. magazine. You're living in Manhattan. Has, you know, have, have your, has your thinking changed as you've gotten late 50s? Oh, about, about beauty? About, yeah, about beauty and the way you, you think about beauty. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no question. It probably started when I had kids. I mean, I, I had to, to stop because I, I stopped being a contributing editor at Allure after I had kids, and the only time I saw mascara was when they were using it to write on the wall or something. You know? <laughs> it was like just I kind of went through a phase where I didn't want to do makeup, and um, 
I still don't, but if I have to go somewhere, I'll put put makeup on. Um, and I, I, I just don't. I, I mean, my thinking is that um, now, I mean, maybe at one point in my early years, I was always concerned about perfection and looking just right. And now I'm like, no, <laughs> I've lived too long. I know that in, in the end, it doesn't. What really matters is how you act and how you present yourself and whether there's, you know, a blemish or a scar or whatever. That's perfect. i got to stop you right here. Unfortunately, we're flat out of time. What is the website if uh, if folks want to hook up with you and with Next Tribe? Where do they go? They go to nexttribe.com. Easy enough. Nexttribe.com. N-E-X-T-T-R-I-B-E.com. And I wish we had time. I'm sorry. Go ahead. This has been so fun. I know. It's been, like it's, been a nice, it's been a nice little gaggle here. Thank you so time much. Time goes fast when you're having fun. Next time, I need to hear more about your Nat Geo photographer husband. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's yeah, exciting. Wants to know about him. I'm assuming he's <laughs> up in the Arctic right now. No, he's in Comfort, Texas right now. Oh, ah. there we go. All Close. right. Got to go. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Jeannie Ralston, Next Tribe Magazine. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. 9.30 a.m., The Answer is where you hear us. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, thank you for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of each and every one of our programs, we bring you Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist and expert on caregiving and addictions. And our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is here. I'm Ron Aaron. And Carol, you look a little lonely. Well, you know, I get that way here in the radio studio with just a set of headphones. But anyway... Excuse me. Got all choked up there for a second. Um, So, Jamie, I think both you and I, I think all three of us, um, saw the recent article in the Washington Post on loneliness. And certainly it's been in the news um, a lot. And we talk a lot about don't isolate, don't isolate for caregivers. But I was thinking about... um, you know, really the head-on, the, the, this article talked about different types of loneliness, which I hadn't really kind of peeled back and thought about, you know, some of the underlying reasons. And they talked about the difference between, you know, being alone where you don't have contact with others and then not, but not, ha- or not having quality contact with others. So the depth of the relationships. Why is that distinction important? Many people can be alone, and uh, alone, it means that you can be on two feet, you know, taking care of yourself, your, as Ron loves me saying, my, your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul. You feel comfortable with yourself, and you feel also that you're balanced, that you have a social life when you want to have it, and you can connect with people when you want to connect. And, and everybody needs downtime. I mean, there's no question that everybody needs downtime, so... Being alone in that, in that context, uh, many people enjoy it. Many people enjoy their space. And I see it as being something that actually, when I do couples work, um, the couples literally ask themselves, you know, can, can you respect it? Can you respect space? Um, but, you know, being alone is also, you know, you know, it can get into loneliness, okay? And to me, loneliness is about isolation. And it, it, it comes with that 
feeling of unreturned sort of energy, when you start seeing your friends, uh, your connections, the people that mean the most to you start dissipating, start falling away, and, and your expectations, I guess, of what you've had and what you've been, that connective sort of soul starts dropping away with it. And you're in a perpetual state of craving, and, and yet you're getting nothing back, totally unrequited. That's loneliness. So being alone certainly is uh, often a choice, and being in the world of loneliness at some point feels like it's totally not a, a, a our choice. And the challenge, uh, I'm thinking back to my mother, everything that she could think of to connect with people, uh, and it didn't work. All her old friends after my dad died dropped off, and she was alone, and then listening to your definition became lonely, and loneliness really did impact her. But, you know, that type of loneliness also, you know, is sometimes age-dependent, age-related, and and sometimes we just feel that, you know, people around us, in fact, case in point, as you know, I just lost my very close friend, and I realized I've lost three very close friends in the past year that were tremendous influencers. Those are happening somewhat, you know, in their own time. I, and I'm not going to say naturally, because uh, I, I believe they should have both lived longer, and I, was, I wanted that. But they happen in their own time. And, and so that's when people start falling away, and we started outliving them. Uh, that's different, I believe, in terms of often the loneliness of people that, that can connect, but become part of an isolation of a chronic illness, become more self-engrossed, go much more into themselves, and kind of give up and decide not to connect. Well, talk a little bit about um, the, the article talks about collective loneliness, which is the feeling of not being valued by the broader community which to me seems like something that could affect the person that you're caring for, an older person that doesn't feel valued because they're old, they're sick, or a caregiver because they, you know, they're doing this work for free. Nobody's really interested in their dad that has Alzheimer's. It's not a fun thing to get together and experience, um, and so they don't feel valued either. You know, it's kind. Of, you're right, and that's that feels to me like, like um, almost an existential loneliness, or or somewhat of a of a cultural loneliness. And caregiving is is so, you know, indicative of of this type of loneliness. We become caregivers. It hits us often when we least suspect it, uh, or we're not prepared ourselves. You know, on two feet, and taking care of ourselves, we start to get depressed. We start isolating. We start to get very lonely, and we actually pull back, and we feel like we're in a cocoon. And I call this almost a, not just a, a loneliness of ourselves. I call it we become a, a culturally kind of lonely person. And you can be with a whole group of people if you want, and, and yet you can still feel extraordinarily alone when this sort of self-engrossed sort of narcissism that chronic illness can bring hits us. Well, is it possible to rebuild connections when you're a caregiver? Let's say yeah, it's not going to get any better anytime soon. You know, you're still going to be taking care of your husband or your mom. Um, and so your friends have kind of pulled away and you realize that you've been cut off. How do you rebuild that connection? Well, that's a great question, Carol. It's like, uh, and what comes first, the chicken or the egg on this one, right? Um you're hoping against hope um, that you have enough of this sort of energy inside of you that you know and, or you're aware that you need to transform, that you need to connect. And, and maybe somebody out there you know, cares enough. And it often is the case that there's one or two very meaningful people that we can rely on. But somehow we have to use them or, or actually, you know, how do I say, choose to, to be with them to, as a bridge. And so to your question, uh, I believe you, you got to allow that bridge or yourself to find something like a support group, to find places where people socialize, like meet up, um, to, to literally almost take a leap of faith. And even though you're scared to death and maybe you're, again, feeling self-engrossed from a chronic illness or from caregiving, um, you, you have to almost push yourself or have somebody kind of pull you, if you will, uh, outside that door. But sometimes you can be your own worst enemy. Uh, my mother moved into a, an assisted living facility. She'd been alone for quite a while. And I asked her one day, I said, well, how's it going? Have you got friends? She said, you know, Ronnie, they're all old. I, I don't hang out with right. them. They're all old people. And she was 90. Right. 
<laughs> that, right. that's, yeah, that sounds familiar because I had an aunt that moved into assisted living and refused to go to the dining room. Right. It was my to, mother. Yeah, to, to eat with uh, those other people who she was sure she wouldn't like. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think the mind, the mind works like that. I know it sounds kind of ironic, isn't it? But the mind works like that. It looks for ways to reinforce this sort of negative behavior. It looks for a rationale to be alone, to be lonely. But I've heard, and again, I'm not sure where it was. I don't think it was this article, but that being alone or being isolated is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah, it'll kill you. It's really, it's killing you, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the article was talking about, you know, for people who always feel lonely, that really don't have any relief so that it's it's less situational where maybe a spouse has died or you've lost, you know, your best friend um, or a couple of friends. I know, you know, that that does happen to us. Uh, but, you know, but you have you have the ability to kind of regroup um, as opposed to where you really what you were talking about have given up hope pulled inside yourself. And and I think that that happens to caregivers, too. And, and that's where, you know, they get the blinders on. They can't see, um, you know, outside of that caregiving situation in that world. Well, and you know, and I know, as we always say, caregiving is going to connect with somebody, whether you are a caregiver, as Rosalind Carter says, or you're going to become a caregiver. So I really believe that we have to talk about prevention and intervention. We're talking a lot about intervention right now, and finding that support group and finding that one person and pushing yourself at all costs. But for those caregivers who don't feel lonely, don't feel alienated, or existentially separate, if you will, I mean, they need to listen to this show and, and, and develop a very strong social support network right now as a prevention. Because you're right, Carol. I mean, this... This is a caregiver phenomenon, and a social support network, if it's not comprised of it's out there, family and friends, if it's not out there, then times, you know, when we need to go to that bank account of love, um, the bank account is going to be empty. So we really have to prepare ourselves, if you will, with that support network. Dr. Jamie, thank you. You get the last word on Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel and Dr. Jamie Heisman. We'll catch you next time. On 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.